Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. This is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is enjoying inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to. We continue to gain recognition as a great resource for small business owners, entrepreneurs, sales professionals, uh, department managers, from Inc.com to MSNBC's Your Business, People First, uh, Fit Small Business, and a whole bunch of other sites. Um, They have all given us a great report on um, having a really great opportunity to help all of you do better things in your business, and that is because of the guests that come on. They join me here to have a conversation about the things that they know that you can then use in your business. Today we have one of those guests. It is Ned Parks. Ned is a business consultant who draws on his background as a U.S. Army warrant officer, helicopter instructor pilot, and business owner to provide owners and management level executives strategies to improve their operations and strengthen their business goals. In 2000, Ned opened Aegis 360 Consulting, a firm focusing on corporate culture, uh, leadership development, and business strategy. Certified as a registered corporate coach, Ned's expertise includes the areas of strategic planning, leadership development, and coaching. He guides leaders to connect with their teams and combine personal and organizational objectives to achieve their goals, offering proven business strategies with creative approaches, practical methods, and unique execution applications. Ned is Lean Six Sigma Greenbelt trained, He is also certified in Everything DISC, the Five Behaviors of a Cohesive Team Program, and PXT Select. Ned attended the University of Akron and Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. He currently lives in Akron, Ohio, with his wife, Brenda, a dog, cat, and a horse, while his daughter, Sammy, sets the world on fire. Welcome to the podcast, Ned. Thank you, Diane. Appreciate being here very much. Well, I am thrilled to have you here. I should have said in here, and I didn't, that you also have a new book out by the name of The Simple and Easy Manager, and we're going to be talking about stuff that's in that book. Congratulations on being a published author. Thank you. My pleasure. I I know what a labor of love that kind of thing can be. (laughs) Well, you're not kidding. (laughs) I don't know how much love is in there. Exactly. There were times I was checking my sanity is what I was doing. <laughs> oh my gosh, I totally get it. Tell me why you wrote the book. What was your reason? Well, it's a, it's a great question. I have really tried very hard um, to always take concepts and activities and um, executionable ideas and turn them into something that people in the workplace will actually do. Um, all too often we, you know, we have this big complex model that's written up in 700 pages or it's an academic research project and somebody put out there and we say, wow, that's great. I have no 
idea in the world how I'm ever going to do that. Um, it gets to be complex. It's huge. And people then say, forget it. It was nice to hear, but I'm back to work again. And it got frustrating for me, um, you know, trying to help people to be a better boss or leader or sometimes just a, a worker in the workplace. So I really embarked upon trying to get things um, to where people would actually do something with it. And as I began to do that over the last 18 years, everybody say, oh, my gosh, this is great. You ought to make a book out of it. And I go, yeah, 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 whatever, you know, and ignore people and not paying attention to them. And finally, you know, it was one of those things where let's put all these together where somebody can actually have them in one place and it's not a quote unquote workbook. So I embarked about four years ago on writing the book so people could have it, um, you know, just in the comfort of their own home. Uh, thank you for that. I think that is um, a, a reason why so many of us go ahead and write books, right? Because people are asking <laughs> us to, but also so that we can get all of that information out there. I'm curious about why you wrote it as a story. Why did you pick that style? Yeah. That's a great question. I um, I sat down, I guess, because that's what I'd seen everybody else do, and I wrote a typical how-to book. When you're presented with this problem, this is how you manage it. You do this, X, Y, and Z, step one, two, three. And um, I scrolled away in San Diego, California for four days, uh, by myself and I cranked this thing out and I was doing backflips and it was all happy and I let it sit for a week and I read it. It was the biggest piece of garbage I'd ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> it was so bad. I kid you not. It was so bad. The first thing that went through my mind is if I die and my daughter goes through all my files, she'll find it. I've got to get rid of it. That's how bad it was. I didn't want anybody to see it in death, let alone in life. So I was I was lamenting this to a friend of mine, and he said, Ned, you're a storyteller. Why don't you write a story? He said, I've heard your stuff. He said, you always encapsulate everything in a story. Just write a story. So I did. I decided to write it in kind of the same genre as Who Moved My Cheese or My Icebergs Melting or those sorts of things where it was a story, and someone could pick it up and identify with the, the characters or character, whichever and say, oh, you know, this is, this is, here's the problem. It's real. And it is. And so I base the stories off of real situations that I'd encounter either personally in my own world when I was, before I was in the consulting world or others I had either coached or heard from clients. So I just built it around that and I built the characters and sat down and wrote the book. And it was like, this is, this is much more like who I am. And I think people will identify with it. So, so that's why I wrote it as a story. That's really great. I, I think that's perfect for you. I, I love that. So let's start getting into some of the, the meat of the sure. subject. Um, sure. So, so the, you really stress in the book that a lot of management problems can be solved if we just adopt basic strategies. So is, is that, I mean, are, what is it about a basic strategy? that is different <laughs> or better than something, you know, really involved or complicated. Right. So, um, and I want to be careful that I'm not knocking some great work that you and I both have run into and seen that's out there that have been done at very high levels that are deep research based and, and so on and so forth. It's, you know, it's valid, it's, it's reliable, but it's impractical in the application of it for, for all but those who have a huge resource of people around them and that sort of thing. So I've just, I finally got to the point where I said, you know, if it's not simple and easy for somebody to do it, they're never going to try it. They're just not. There's too many moving parts. It's too complex. It's like an erector set and it doesn't have a, a plan or a picture or instructions and, and people get overwhelmed. And, and here's the other thing, Diane, people, pick up a business book or they go to a workshop or they hire a coach or they listen to something on podcast or whatever it is they're doing, right? They're trying to do that because they have a very specific problem they're trying to solve tomorrow. And, and if they can't do something that will either solve it or make it better, it's just overwhelming and, and we just dump it. We just go away from it. And, and then I ran across this work by a psychologist by the name of, I think his name is Barry Schwartz. I know his last name is Schwartz. And he talks about the paradox of choice. And when we, when we 
uh, deliver too many choices or too complex choices to people that literally our minds just kind of shut down and we say, no, this is just too much. I'm, there's too much here. And so I'm not going to do any of it. And so I began to experiment by handing someone, I want you to do this and nothing else. And at first, I would get pushback. Ned, that's too simple. It can't possibly work. Um, maybe, but I want you to try it. And they would humor me and try it. And they go, oh my gosh, it worked. Did it fix the whole problem? No, but it made it a lot better. Then we've made two or four steps forward. Let's either try it again or now let's add to it one or the other. So it got to the point where it was like, we don't need it to be so doggone complex. Let's just make it a basic thing that we do. You know, let's just, let's just um, create a culture where um, we stand up when someone walks in our office and we greet them. How about, let's try that. Let's just see what that, what happens with that. And, and you know, let's, it, it, where does that then go? Well, it shows respect and I'm a, I'm attentive to you and I'm active listening and all those other things that we we've heard about, but now I'm actually practicing something that encompasses this. So I've just said, it's just basic stuff. Let's just go back and do the basic stuff. I really love this concept. And when um, I, I was going through the book, I highlighted, and one of the things that I highlighted is um, you say it is the series of little simple and easy things we do that make a big impact towards being a successful leader. So yeah. is right? I mean, like that's what you're talking about. The standing right. up and greeting somebody when they walk in. Simple, small, goes Simple. a long way. Yeah. It goes a long way. It goes a long way. It really does. And you know, and this isn't even in the book, but this is something that I preach all the time. And that is, you know, um, and I have a drawer that's that's within a reach of my desk that's jam-packed full of Old fashioned, I know some of our listeners are not gonna are, are not gonna identify with this. There's these things called note cards. They're amazing. Um, they're paper. You pull them out, you you jot a note to someone, uh, you fold up an article that you think they might like, um, you fold it up, you put it in this thing called an envelope, you put a stamp on it, you put it in the mail. And let me tell you something. I get I try my goal, Diane, is two a week. Just two. It's very, you know, it's I'm not gonna overtax. I'm not going to say six and then fail and then stop it altogether. I'm going to say two. And, and I usually do that or more, usually, almost always. But when I don't, I've at least got one out. And I just say, oh, you know, Bob might be interested in that. Or, or I sent one to someone the other day, a friend of mine that really kind of went through a tough career thing. And, um, you know, I just, I know she was hurting a little bit about a decision she had to make as a leader and it wasn't wasn't a happy one, you know, and she led her group through a pretty rough transition and she did it with flair and, and she did it beautifully. And I'm sure there were some tears involved. I just wrote her a little, just a little note. Hey, you know, tomorrow the sun's going to come up. The, you're looking out the windshield, not the rearview mirror. What's your next step? I'm sure you have it. You know, good for you. Right. Just a simple little easy, simple note. Right. Oh my gosh, she went crazy. She said, Oh my God, I got home and I got this note. And I was, What? Who is this? She, I had my return address. She goes, I, I know that address looks familiar, but I don't know who it is. And I tend to put my address and not my name on it when I, when I put the return address on there. Oh, it just, she's just still talking about it. And so it's just those simple little things, you know, just pick up a note and send it to somebody. And it's just amazing what it can do. Congratulations, or I hope you're doing all right, or here's something I think that you'd be interested in seeing. And, and uh, people remember that, and they respond to that. They really do. So, and it sounds to me like, I, I mean, I, believe me, I am a million percent on the write the note and handwrite the note. Um, but part of that, for me, sounds like you have to, make a decision about what you're going to focus on and what you're going to really intentionally pay attention to because there's so much <laughs> going on around you, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, the two words that I love to um, ask people to do is I ask them to be deliberate uh -huh. and intentional. Yeah. And if they'll do that, they won't. Uh, here's the promise I make them. I say, if you'll be deliberate and intentional about this, I said, the first promise I'm going to make you is you won't always get it right. 
That's the first promise. But you will you will be able to analyze it after you've done it and say, well, I could have done that a little different or a little better or a little worse. And I know what I did. I know why I did it. And now I'm going to modify it a little bit next time I have to do it. But oftentimes you're going to get it right. And you're going to know what you're doing. And you're not on some autopilot that just says, well, I'm just doing this because this is what I do every day. And I don't really know what I'm doing. And, and you get home and your spouse says, what'd you get done today? And it says, I'm not really sure because I wasn't intentional and deliberate. I'd rather you come home and say, I had a really crappy day and I made all these really bad decisions. And that happens but I learned a lot from it and tomorrow I'm going to make much better decisions. Fine. Then, then just, just be that way and just shrug your shoulders and, and tip a frosty and, and get up the next morning and, and let's do it again. Um, and, and we tend to, um, we tend to let the fires control us and instead of us controlling the fires, I love, I've always had this thought time management seminars. I, I, I love this. If somebody could teach me how to manage time, they'd be the richest person in the world. What they need to call it is a choice management workshop. I'll go to that one because now I got the same amount of time everybody else does. It's the choices I make. I choose to write a note, not send an email. Takes a little bit longer, costs me a few pennies more, but it's a choice that I make and I'm satisfied with the choice. You can choose to send an email and that's great too. That's fine if that's what you choose to do, but don't complain that you're not getting the, 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 the uh, response that you want out of whatever. Change the dang approach and get a different response. Yeah. The stuff isn't that hard. We're not, look, we're not sending people, you know, with, who was it? SpaceX just sent this rocket into space. That's some really smart people doing some really complex stuff. I'm not really that bright. This isn't all that hard. It really isn't. Well, I don't <laughs> Standing know. up and saying, Hi, welcome to my office. You know, how are you today? And shaking your hand and sending somebody a note and listening. It's not hard. It's not hard. And yet people make it so dang difficult. And they go, oh, my God, I'm going to come. Can't figure out how to do this. Well, just shut your mouth and listen. It's not hard. <laughs> it's not hard. But, but it's right. So it's not hard. It's a decision. Right. That, that's yeah. what I hear you saying. Yes. That's the choice. Yeah. You are making a decision about how you want to interact with other people, the impact that you want to have, the, the memory you want to leave or the impression that you want to leave, you know, how, however you want to say it. And, and right, it right. pertains to everything you do and all the people that you interact with. Yes. Yes. I have a, a card that I've made up with four questions that a leader should ask themselves every day. And, and I give it to, to folks, anybody that asks for it, I hand it out to whoever wants it. But the one question that is probably my favorite question, especially for somebody that is either, and, 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 and I, I know I've heard you say this a million times, um, that's in a leadership position, which is everyone, including the janitor, okay? So the question that they should ask themselves at the end of the day is, what is my leadership legacy of today? Yeah. And if you don't like the answer, you have tomorrow. Don't dwell on today. It wasn't very good. Okay. Then do something different tomorrow because yeah. tomorrow will get here. It will. And if it doesn't, you don't need to worry about it. Right. But it will right. get here. So what's your leadership legacy today? And is it a legacy you're proud of? My dad used to tell me, whatever you do, be okay if it's printed above the fold on the front page of the newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and if I make it <laughs> right, if I make a really difficult decision yeah. and they put it above the newspaper, I should be able to look at everybody and go, Yep, that's a decision I made and I believe it to be right. Exactly. And, and then go do it. Right? Yeah. Even if everybody doesn't like it, then go do it. Yeah. And that's fine. Okay, so talk to me some about, um, well, I, I, there's a couple levels of this. Okay, so I want to talk about how leaders deal with their employees, but I want to start with like the hiring practice, how we bring people into our organizations to either set uh, them up for success or failure. So go for it. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So this is um, this has been amazing to me. So. You know, for years, I, 
have been talking about onboarding new employees and there's there's no shortage of stuff written about it and there's no shortage of really good information out there I might add some really splendid ideas and practices and so on and so forth it's not like not like this doesn't exist I mean it's out there for the for the asking um, but generally speaking the onboarding process is um, pathetic let's just start there and I'll, that's I think being nice um, you know, we got a new employee in, and the first thing we do is make sure they can fog the mirror. And then once we know they're alive, we say, stand over here and do this job and do it well and do it, you know. And by the way, find the bathroom on your own and the coffee pot on your own. And, you know, someone, someone will show up at some point in the future with a computer. We don't know when because we forgot to have them get it ready for you before you showed up. And so basically what we've said to this employee is um, you weren't important enough to us to get ready to have you come here. Yeah, wow. so let that sink in for just a moment. Oh. You were not important for us to put one ounce of effort into preparing for your first day. So by noon on day one, the employee is going, I wonder if I can slip in the bathroom and check Indeed to see if anybody's got a hold of me to see if there's another job out there because I dang sure don't want this one. This place is ridiculous. So th this is a this is a real story. Um, <laughs> person was stepping into a conference room on a Monday morning with her team for her Monday morning one hour meeting, and the boss's assistant came up to her and said, "Where do you want Justin to sit?" And she said, "I don't know. Who's Justin? Oh. Your new employee. Oh. He hired for you. The poor guy is standing right." there. She said, I didn't know I was getting a new employee. I don't have anywhere for them to sit. I don't have a plan for what I'm going to do with them this week. I don't know. I've got 12 people that are now waiting for me in a conference room. And as the boss, one of the things that I've been absolutely death on is you will come to all meetings on time. And now I'm late to my own meeting. And I've got to look at my team and say, I'm sorry. Thank you very much. Wow. Now, she was livid, and I don't blame her one bit. Mm -hmm. She was the kind of employee that she had been around long enough that the next morning her boss had a very, let's say, unwelcome uh, conversation in his office about don't ever do that to me again, ever. Not because I care, but because I felt like a dope in front of this new employee I have that I didn't know I was getting, and the poor guy was wondering, what in the hell have I gotten myself into? Exactly. So it just, and, it, and that's, that's at one end of the spectrum. That's probably as bad as I've seen it. And then I've seen everything all the way up to magnificent, just magnificent. So, you know, we have got, as companies and organizations, we have to understand that the onboarding of a new employee may very well be one of the most important things we do to A, get them settled, to B, get them engaged, to C, make them feel welcome and connected, um, D, send a message to the rest of our employees that when we bring someone new on the team, it's kind of like inviting them into your home. You treat them with respect, you show them where to sit, you get them a glass of water, you feed them food, what, whatever the equivalent, obviously, of that would be, that we make it a big deal. And because it is a big deal. And we have got to get out of this mindset that I don't have the time or the money to do that. I will tell you, um, you don't have the time and the money to manage and pay for the turnover rate because nobody feels welcome when they come to work for you. So they go look for a new job. And if you don't think that's expensive, think again. Because uh, last numbers I saw were like 1.3 to 1.6% of their annual salary every time you walk them through the front door. Yeah, That's a big number. That's a big number. I don't care if it's 50000 a year or a hundred or whatever it happens to be. So we have got to say, you know, the onboarding process has got to really be kicked up into high gear. There's so much opportunity there alone for an organization that they could almost forget everything else and they'd be miles ahead if they just did that. Just do that. Forget the details of the 728 PowerPoint slides of, you know, this is a company, here's the policy. I mean, we can rebuild that later, 
let's just get them to feel magnificent when they walk through the door, like I'm really important. And so I'm going to treat you like you're important because that's kind of how respect works. If you show me that I have value, I will return that value back to you. And we don't do that. And then we wonder why they're disconnecting with, with us. Why are they not engaged in my company? Well, because you don't show that they have value to you. Uh, it's just something that's just so basic. It's yeah. just so simple. And yet it seems to elude so many organizations at, at such a high rate. And they get so wrapped around the axle of the dollars invested. Well, they'll, they won't be productive for weeks. They're not going to be productive for weeks anyway. So you might as well, you might as well spend some time making them feel important and get them productive as fast as you can. Be proactive instead of reactive about it. Quit complaining about it. Do something. There's a great article that I read, and the title is called, I want to say New, No Room at the Inn. I can get you the link later if, if you want it. It's a phenomenal article about a very high-end resort in Virginia. And what's fascinating is not the customer service things they do is across over the top. That's, that's not the essence of the story. The essence of the story is when he hires a new chef, the chef has to learn how to check someone in at the front desk, carry their bags up, put it in their room. Um, a new front desk person learns the flow in the kitchen. They're not a cook. They're never going to learn how to cook. That's not what they're taught. They're taught the flow. They're taught what it sounds like when an order comes back, how they manage things. And, and so, therefore, their service is over the top because everybody is onboarded at such an unbelievable rate that there isn't anything they don't at least understand about the rest of the business. Costs him a fortune and reaps him a fortune times 10 in both reputation and, and, and what he can charge and the fact that getting a room there is near impossible. So, you know, what, what, what do you want back at the end of the day? That's, that's exactly. what I always ask people. Right. Right. What what are what do you really want and and how are yeah, how are you really going to get there? And and people right. really yeah, because they stop they they um give their whole company short shrift and they and it's not just and their clients and their employees and everybody. They you know, everyone right. loses out. Yeah. Yeah, it's really true. Right. In the old days, you know, in the old days at Southwest Airlines, they truly hired for culture. I mean, I don't know if they still do it. I haven't kept up with it, but you'd, at certain jobs, you'd come in and stand in an auditorium and people in the auditorium would throw questions at you. And one of them was, you know, give us an example about the time you were most embarrassed ever in your life and you better be, have the ability to laugh at yourself or they didn't want you. It's fascinating. And they hired for culture. They'll teach you how to be a flight attendant. You, you, you know, you had to have the basic stuff, but but boy, they really got it. And, and, you know, I'm a huge fan of that airline and, and in no small portion to how the employees are when you're around them. It's infectious. Exactly. I feel good when I'm around their employees. And, right. and that brings me to another topic that you alluded to that, that I've really recently been getting in, invested in. And that is the whole idea of what do we do before we even hire them? That, 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 that's an image of the culture of the organization we're sending and we don't even realize it. And I'm now seeing it. My daughter's going to graduate in a couple of weeks, literally uh, in about a month with her MBA. And she's now out there looking as she says, I have to adult now, dad. So I have to get an adult job. So she's out there looking now. And uh, this is something, this is a part of the business I've never worked in. I'm not an expert in that area. So it's kind of ignored it. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really getting my eyes open. She said, she calls me on the phone and she says, dad, she said, they want a cover letter and I have to put it into a computer program. I don't know who to address the letter to. Mm. Dad, you've always told me I'm supposed to use people's names when I write them a note. I don't write them a note and say to whom it may concern. I write them a note and say, Bob or Mrs. Jones or whatever. Thank you for the gift when I graduated high school or whatever. Mm. She goes, what do I put down? And I'm going, I don't have an answer for you because these companies haven't thought about this. So now she has to be a detective, a Sherlock Holmes, root around in, in, in LinkedIn and hope she finds somebody that is the right person to put the name to. If she gets it wrong, they're going to think she's an, a knuckle brain. Right. But, you know, I say she's done more work than half the other people that put to whom it may concern. Exactly. And then the other issue we have is we have, especially right now, we're in a, we're in a, a jobs war over getting good employees. They're just not 
out there. And then we let computers decide who you're going to interview and who you're not. So we've got these big organizations that the computer does the calling, um, uh, uh, not calling, calling, and it says, interview this one, don't interview that one. Interview this one, don't interview that one. And and I just and then we complain we're not getting the right people to apply. Well, <laughs> duh. <laughs> Stop shooting yourself in the foot, you know. Maybe the old way is really but maybe technology is not helping us as as well as it could right now. You know, I, I know it's efficient, Diane. I know it's efficient. I get it. You get ten thousand resumes a day. I know there's an efficiency factor in there. I get that. Here's what I don't think it is. I don't think it's very effective. Oh, I don't think it's very effective either. Interestingly, I I interviewed a guy um, for this podcast, Steve Ocho, and he, we were talking about how technology really has broken the hiring process. And oh. yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you're talking about. And one of the things that he said that was so interesting for me was we write job descriptions that prevent people from applying for the job and we don't even realize that we're doing it like we'll say you know you need yeah. seven years of experience in whatever okay do you really why seven right like you know what is the right. outcome that you want people to provide and, you know it's just right. it was such right. a fascinating concept but you're right we do things because it's efficient because at one point there were so many people applying for one position that we had to do something to be able right. you know, right? And that's the great thing about technology, yep. but, but yep. we set it up so badly that we aren't even necessarily getting the people in front of us who we should be getting in front of us. Right, right. Yeah, we're we're not. We're we're not no. getting any it is just abs and the other problem and I'm and I'm now seeing this is is um in fact I'm I'm working on something right now to to, to kind of address this a little bit, is we've gone down this road in our society that people have gone to college or or whatever, but we'll use college as the example. To, it, it, to, and I want the listeners to hear what I'm saying because it's a it's a subtle difference, but it's massive. To get a degree, not an education. Yes, it's terrible. And that really worries me. Mm-hmm. And and I said to someone the other day, um, well. They said, "What? What would somebody ask me? What degree my daughter was getting as her undergrad?" And I told them. And they go, "What is she going to do with that degree? That won't get her a job." And I and I responded. I said, "You know what? I said in my practice, I walk in and out of thirty to forty different companies a year, and never one time have I seen a degree sitting in a chair. I see people yeah. who think, who problem solve, who decision make, who who innovate." who get creative, I've never seen a degree in a chair. I see people. And it's fascinating to me, uh, one company in, in, in specific that I work with, how they will really, they have recruiters who must be brilliant individuals because they hire people that you would say, you had to have a degree in this to get this job, and they go, oh no. So she, this one lady that works for this company, was a music teacher and she's now a quality control individual for software. I said, excuse me? <laughs> and she said, well, I applied to work in their training department because I was an educator. Yeah. And they said no three times. And I finally said to the recruiter, you know, I've made it to the last step in your hiring process three times. Clearly, there's something about me you like. So why don't you tell me where you think I would fit? Because I really want to work for your company. Wow. And she said, oh, well, you are a detail person because you can play like seven instruments. And you're a teacher, so you can think and manage different issues that pop up in front of you. We think you would do well as a computer quality person, a software quality person. She goes, I don't know anything about software. She said, good. That's exactly what we're looking for. Wow. And they hired her. Because they and knew she's, what the outcome was, and they knew, right. Yes, I mean, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They knew the competencies they were looking for, not yeah. the tasks. 
Right. And it was, and, and it's like, and they have 2,500 employees that are just like that. I mean, it's just amazing. Wow. Do they have software engineers? Absolutely. They have degree people that are software engineers that write code and do this stuff. But they also have these other people that come from backgrounds. You scratch your head and go, wow, you folks get it is what you do. You get it. It's so great. It's so rare, but it's so great. I have to take a quick sponsor break and then we'll continue sure. to talk about this. Absolutely. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. If you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall and The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we are speaking with Ned Parks about leadership, uh, do's and don'ts, goods and bads, uh, <laughs> out of his book, <laughs> The Simple and Easy Manager. And so, Ned, let's talk some about setting expectations, because I think this is another place where leaders fall down, and not just like in setting the expectations, but in maintaining them and the consequences that go with those expectations, good and bad. So what what's your yep. take on that? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that we um, – we see a task ahead of us. So we see I need to get, um, I need to get this report done for the uh, quarterly board meeting. And so I'm going to give it to, to Joe Bag of Donuts over here who works for me, and I'm going to tell Joe do the report. And, and we're pretty clear in our head um, of the task, okay? Well, we've got that down. It's the report has to be done. And we hand it to Joe, but then here's what we don't do. We don't tell Joe what success looks like. We don't say, I need the first draft to me by X. I need it in color. I'd like this. I don't like that. Um, there's some things, Joe, I just want you to figure out on your own, but I want you to be in this ballpark. Um, we got to have the final to the president so he can make changes if he needs by X date. So we can do the printing uh, three days before the board meeting so we can manage any hiccups or things that go wrong. We don't clarify that. So then Joe is left to go off and try to figure it out on his own and and with, with little to no direction. Um, or we go the other direction. We don't give him what success looks like, but we micromanage him to failure. And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right? Until he hates us, we hate him, and the report still isn't done. So there's this place in between. I'm not going to micromanage you, but I'm going to tell you that um, I want you in the infield of the ballpark. And I really don't care if you're on first base or third base because those are my boundaries, and I'm, I'm fine with wherever you are in there. This is As long as you hit and stay within those boundaries, whatever they happen to look like, then that'll be fine. We don't set the expectation. Um, I, I'm a firm believer, if, if I wasn't, I probably couldn't get out of bed in the morning anymore. I don't believe that employees wake up in the morning and drink their coffee at their kitchen table and say to themselves, today, I'm gonna fail at absolutely everything I do. I'm gonna be a lousy employee and I'm gonna make everybody mad at me. I, I don't think that they do that. I also don't think that they sit there and say, whose life am I going to make miserable today? <laughs> um, Diane. I think I'm going to screw with Diane all day long. Now, <laughs> some of your listeners are going, nonsense, Parks. Come hang out with me, and I'll prove right. you wrong. <laughs> right? And I, and I bow at their feet because I know they're telling me the truth, and I get that. But what I'm talking about is that I don't know, this is somewhat of an arbitrary number, 90% of our employees live inside the bell curve, and what you're describing to me is the 10% that live outside the bell curve. Right. And so 90% really want to do a good job, they, they want to get along, sometimes they don't know how, sometimes they're bullheaded, 
Sometimes they're just frustrated. Sometimes there's a lot of reasons they don't. But I think most of them, actually, if you were to ask them what they want, they would want the same thing you want. They want to do a good job. They want to be successful. They want to contribute to the team, so on and so forth. You get the 10% outside the bell curve that really do get up in the morning and say, today I'm screwing with Diane all day because I don't like her because she's the boss and I'm just going to make her life miserable. And I know they want this by four. I'm going to make sure they get it at 430. You know, yes. Are there employees like that? There certainly are. But I would also tell you, we have to stop managing the 100% based upon the 10%. Hallelujah. We have to manage manage the 90%, right? Or lead the 90% is actually a better word. And deal with the 10%. And we don't do that well enough. We get so wrapped around the axle with the 10% that we forget the 90%. And by the way, in that 90% is the top 10%, your rock stars, who you are not paying any attention to at all. And while you're ignoring them because they get the job done every day and you love them, and they're feeling now ignored, they're looking for a new job. Yeah, well, because you know, that's so that, wrapped uh, up. The, the student that, uh, the, the good kid, right, that you just sort yeah. of convince yourself that they don't need any sort of... Yeah support or mm-hmm. yeah. right exactly yeah. that's exactly right yeah they'll just they'll hand, they're so good they'll oh my god they're amazing they'll handle it on yeah. their own well yeah they are and they will that what we need to do is get with that 10 percent in our scheduled normal one-on-ones i hope everybody knows what i'm talking about <laughs> um but that they that they sit with that and with those high performers they really connect with them and they take care of what ails them and what their problems are and what they're frustrated about. You know, I read somewhere years ago, and I think this falls into the servant leadership category. Um, a guy said one time, he goes, yeah, I'm the president of the company, but my job is to make sure I remove every obstacle from you doing your job. Right. I'm here to serve you. Tell me what's in your way that you can't get out of the way. I'll get it out of the way because you know what? I want you to do your job. Exactly. So I'm here to remove the obstacles that you either can't or don't know how to. Or I'll okay, teach so, you how to remove them. Okay, but so wait a minute. Because yeah. I, I agree yeah. with everything that you're saying. I, I truly do. And I <laughs> God, this, this is a fun this is fun. <laughs> I'm so glad. So here we go. When okay. that right. top performer, when that, you know, someone in the ten percent says yep. okay, my obstacle is Betty who's in the bottom 10%, what the hell is she still doing here? <laughs> yep, yep. Right? Yep, okay. Yep, so, yep. so talk about like the leadership aspect of, of helping those people find the job they're supposed to have, which might not necessarily sure. be in your company. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm a huge fan of, of the, the now fairly old book that I think is still so relevant and that's Jim Collins from good to great um you know and his his analogy in there is get the right people on the bus and he's really talking about do you fit the culture of the organization number one right and then number two are you in are you in the right seat in the bus which in in his analogy is are you doing the job that really feeds you so you feed back that's that's in, in very basic terms that's what it is so here's here's the way I look at it um you know I did not marry the first girl that I dated um, seriously. And um, that doesn't mean that I'm a bad guy or she's a bad girl. It just wasn't the right fit. Mm. And in fact, today, I'm still friends with her. She's delightful. She's got kids. They're grown up. We talk. She's a friend of my wife's. She's a delightful human being. We did not get married. It would not have ended well, right? And I think we all need to grow up in business and understand that not everybody fits everybody else. They just don't. There, there are places that I should never go to work because I would probably be a pretty lousy employee because I'd be miserable. Right. And so I should not go there. And I need to be a big boy and understand that. And when I recognize it, I need to be able to say in a perfect world, and I realize we don't have that, you know, I'm not where I ought to be. Help me go somewhere else, either within the organization or help me, you know, transition out of the organization in a professional way. And we do that, you know, I see that sometimes, Diane, but I don't see it near enough. 
when I see it, it's usually a pretty enlightened group of people, both the employee as well as the leadership. Um, and when you see that, it's really pretty amazing. Um, but, but part of it is, and, and I learned this from a boss of mine, I'll never forget the first job I had in a manufacturing company hired in as a division manager. I'll never forget that I'd gone through all the steps to the president and finally the offer was going to be made. Just have to have lunch with the president. And then once he gives a thumbs up, job's yours. Okay, fine. So we sit down to lunch and he looks at me and this is his opening question. So tell me how you fire people. Ooh. And I was like, uh, is that something that's done a lot around here? <laughs> he, he laughed and he said, actually, no, but when we have to do it, we do high firing. I said, all right, I'm intrigued. I hope this isn't a question because I don't have an answer, yeah. but I'm willing to learn. And he said, we first need to recognize that we hired the person, therefore part of their failure we have to own. Oh, 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 oh dear. <laughs> wow, that table got turned quite quickly. <laughs> my, my, you mean I have to take responsibility for the fact that I hired somebody and now they're not successful? Yep, you do. Yeah. And so therefore, you have to do everything in your power to figure out, can they be successful? Give them everything they need to be successful. And if we finally get to the place where that's not going to work, then we have a very specific process we go to because our goal, I'll never forget him saying this, is not to make someone homeless. Our goal is to move them out of our organization, which they're not successful. And if, if we've done our job right, they find themselves in a place where they can be successful. That's fabulous. And he, oh my gosh. Oh, Diana was chills where I was like, okay, this is nice. Complete shift of, of direction here. And then he said, <laughs> I'll, never forget, I'll never forget this. He said, if you can't go to sleep the night before you let someone go, you've not done your job as well as you could have. Wow. Yeah. And he was adamant about it. He had another rule that absolutely every open job in the company would go first inside. And it was open to everyone, whether you qualified for the job or not. And the reason that, um, oh, and then secondly, everyone that put in for it would get a full interview because we respect you enough because you work here. We're not going to ignore you. So you get an interview, period. Now, you might say, well, why would I have um, the opening for the chemist in the R&D lab? No one's a chemist. Why would I let somebody who's not a chemist apply for the job? Because this is an opportunity to have a really outstanding one-on-one -on -one conversation about what their career goals and aspirations are. And this is a great opportunity to do that, so let's do it. Let's yeah. just utilize it for that. And, oh, they, and that. believe me, believe me, everybody got an interview, everybody. Now it might start, you know you're not a chemist, so your chance of getting this job are pretty low, but we're gonna have this conversation anyway. And they found out, hey, you know what? I'm not a chemist, but I really wanna work in the lab. I think that would be awesome. Or I wanna do, I'm in marketing, I wanna do new product, you know, whatever. I want to, I'm, I'm fascinated by that process. Okay. Now we know something new about you. We didn't know before. How can we engage you in that? Now, if anybody thinks this didn't work for this company, when he took the, the business over from his father, which is usually a recipe for disaster, mm -hmm. the company did 10 million a year. And when he retired, it was doing 180 million a year. Wow. So, I look at what that guy did and I go, yep, just about everything you did worked. Yeah, because it wasn't just so, all fun and games and kumbaya. No, but it's so focused on being interested in connect, making sure that, that everyone is in the right place and that they're doing what motivates them and they're interested in. And if, in, yep. the, in the smallest case, learning something about them, which makes people feel valued. Yes, so, exactly. No downside. Exactly. No, there's no downside. It's so it costs you an hour of your time. Are you kidding me? You're not going to carve out an hour to, to have a one-on-one -on -one with an employee who's interested in bettering themselves. Give me one good reason not to have that conversation. Right. And nobody, nobody ever can. 
No. Nobody ever can. Well, they're not, we're not going to hire them anyway. I'm not going to waste my time with an interview. Well, what you're saying is I don't respect you enough to have a conversation with you. Right. Right. I don't. don't I just don't personally don't understand that. Everybody. Wow. Well, they don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So speaking of one-on-ones. Um, yes. Talk to me about uh, performance reviews. And and how you think they should be done to be the most effective? Well, you know, it's interesting. I'm reading a lot about um, recently, there's a lot of floating around out there where a lot of people are dumping, a lot of companies are dumping them all together. They're not even doing a performance at all, which I, I am, I'm intrigued by. I would also tell you that um, I don't know enough about it to whether to get on that board, uh, on that boat or not, but I'm so intrigued about it that I keep trying to read and learn more about that. And, you know, is there success with it? And if so, how are we doing it? And so on and so forth. So I just wanted to start there that I'm intrigued with, how do we blow this up and make it work? And maybe yeah. that's not the way, maybe it is, but, but I'm not going to discount it out of hand. I'm first going to say, all right, let's kind of see what's going on. Um, so. The way that I was taught to do them and, and the way that, that I felt worked fairly, fairly well is um, two weeks before you were going to accomplish the, the performance of L, you would make an appointment with the individual. Um, on Tuesday, two weeks from now at 10 a.m., I want to do our performance of L. And I want you to block out, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half, whatever, whatever the time is, doesn't matter. Now, now, why is that step so important? Because I've said this process is so important. I'm making an appointment with you. The alternative that I see is passing someone in the hall. Hey, do you have 10 minutes? Yeah, good. Let's get this performance eval knocked out. Mm. Well, thank you for all the effort you're putting in to my performance. I can't begin to tell you how much I appreciate that. And yes, I'm being as sarcastic as I can be. <laughs> So then I would also, if you have job descriptions, you hand the individual the job description and say, and I'm a big believer in self-evaluations. That's just me. Some people, I know there's some controversy about it. I happen to like them. If they're done right, I like them. So you hand them the self-eval and you hand them the, the, um, the job description. And you say, I would like you to take this job description and I would like you to mark it up. What's, what are you no longer doing? What are you doing that's not on here? How has your job changed? Blah, blah, blah. And I want that back in a week, one week from today at a minimum. Why do I do that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because I learned this the hard way. <laughs> I sat down to do an eval one time, and I was kind of blistering a guy for being really bad at one of his tasks, and he had failed miserably. And the reason he had failed miserably, I'm embarrassed to say this, but if I can't share my failures, nobody will ever learn from it. I had given the task to someone else six months earlier oh and my. forgot. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> I'm able to laugh about it now. Believe me, in the moment, there wasn't anything funny about it at all. Bet. Nothing. Oh. And, when, and he was really cool. He's kind of turned into a friend. I don't see him very often, but when I run into him, we kind of have a laugh about it now. So it's it's all good. But he he was really cool about it. He just sat there and took it. And he said, um, can I talk now? I said, yeah, absolutely. He said, um, the reason that um, the the I'm failing miserably at that? I said, yeah. Is he said, because you gave it to Frank six months ago. I don't do it anymore. I was like... Oh my gosh. I I I did and I had. So <laughs> So I said, all right, I'm never going to let that happen to me again. And here's how I'm not going to let that happen. So and then and then the other piece of it is um people's jobs do change. And when I get that back a week before I sit with them, I can look at that and say, holy criminy, they really did take on a lot over the last rating period, whatever it is, man, they've been in upheaval. Maybe they perform better than I gave them credit for because things have been moving really fast and they've yeah. taken on a lot of stuff. Maybe I really need to have a different conversation about it. So it gives me 
ammunition and good, the right kind, not, not to beat right. them with, but you know what right. I mean, information, not ammunition, to really have a very robust conversation with them. So, so those are my two. And then, and then we compare the, the, um, uh, compare the, uh, the, the, their report and mine. And then I try to follow a very simple formula um, of, of um, that the um, 10, um, I think it's 10, 18, and 36. So 10% of the time should be spent talking about the past, about 18% of the time, the current, and about 36% of the time, the future. So that's about six minutes and a one hour. You know, this is where you were, this is what you've done. Here's where you've progressed to. And then, and then, and then 36 minutes or whatever the number is um, to really spend about what's going to happen tomorrow in your career, or the next rating period. And, and when you think about it, do you want to focus on yesterday or would you like to focus on tomorrow? Right. Tomorrow. Is this, sure. is this an opportunity to look backwards and tell them all the things they did right and wrong or to benchmark and say, what's coming up? What would you like to do? Where would you like to focus? What else would you like to do? So if we kind of think about it that way and we say, really, the performance eval, um, maybe we should rename it and yeah. talk about performance some, with some forward-looking you know, word out there or something that says, let's really focus on tomorrow. Let's, let's manage this out the windshield, not out the rearview mirror, because yesterday's done. So benchmark it. I'm fine with that. But then let's move forward. So that's kind of my approach to it in a, in a more traditional sense. I think that's great. Um, I, I really do. I, I love that. And I do think we probably need to rename it because I agree with you. I think it's something that needs to be more of a living, breathing plan of action. And, and you know, it's a review of, of that plan, whatever, you know, where are we going? Where, where have we been? Where are we right. going? Sort of thing. Right. Um, which actually then for me begs the question about more consistent feedback and conversation so that we're not doing this once a year sort of thing and right, then right. leaving people hanging. Like I think people want, need more um, input about how they're doing as it relates to the goal. Yes. Yes, and, and let's let's all get on I know I'm probably gonna make half the world out there really angry when I say this, but that's okay. Um let's get off this this bandwagon we're on about um the difference between veterans and boomers and millennials and yeah. <laughs> look, they're all human beings. Yeah. Period. Everybody wants to feel valued and respected. I don't care what your generation is. Um, do millennials need a little bit more feedback than what boomers do? Um, yeah, maybe. Um, maybe the boomers always did, and for a variety of reasons, we didn't demand it. I don't know. Um, do I want feedback? I do. Um, do I need it in the same way as a millennial? I don't know. Um, I know I want to be told if I'm doing a good job. I know I want to be told if I'm on or off course. I, you know, I, I get, I'm a little sick of the whole conversation to be just blunt with you about it. Um, I, I think that we've, we've wrapped ourselves around that axle so much that we can't even get out of our own way anymore. Um, I think that um, somebody that's 70 and in the workforce has a tremendous amount to offer and somebody that's 23 and coming right out of school and entering the workforce has a tremendous amount to offer. And if they would just, you know, share some knowledge and stuff with each other, it, we'd be stunned at what we could accomplish instead of, you know, holding mirrors and sage up and trying to keep those evil old people or young people away from me. Um, I, you know, I just, I, I think we need to laugh about it a little bit more and, and just be okay with it. Are there differences? Yes. I think every, um, uh, every uh, generation will complain about the one behind it. I don't think that's ever changed. I don't think it ever will. And I think we just all need to get over it. So um, I, I think that um, the feedback method in a more practical sense that I like to use is a, is what I call a like best in the next time. I really like, so I'll, I'll give you the example of maybe um, a nurse being precepted. She's new to, or he's new, whichever. Um, they're new to, to being a nurse. And so they're being precepted by a more senior nurse. And, 
and the feedback might go, you know, I really liked how thorough you were with that patient. I liked how um, you made sure they understand what you were telling them. Next time, you need to slow your speech. You're a little excited. Um, you speak a little fast. So just have a slower rate of speech um, and it'll calm them a little bit more, which is a different feedback than um, coming out of the room and saying, you talk too fast, slow down. Right, right. Right? And it, it's a little bit more, you give me a picture of what you want. I need you slower. You tell me what I'm doing well. So what am I going to do? I'm going to repeat that because I know, oh, it's on the mark. So I'll do it again. This isn't, again, this isn't difficult. It's not rocket science. You know, it's not that much different than the puppy gets patted when they pee in the grass. So they'll pee in the grass a second time. I mean, this is, again, this isn't rocket science here. If you tell me you like what I just did, I'll probably do it again. Right. Um, you know, I mean, people are, we're not all that complex if we just, um, we try to be, but then we're really not. It's just some fairly simple stuff. So, yeah. And then one-on-ones are a great way to have that more structured, very, um, you know, through the year feedback, whether it's a week, whether it's every other week, whether it's once a month, you know, I think that depends on the leader. I think it depends on the person. I think it depends on the job. I don't have a hard and fast rule with it. I'm thinking once every other month isn't enough, and I'm thinking twice a week is too much. So somewhere in there for the individual organization and people probably works. So you just have to figure out what that is. And if you're not talking at all between that, then I would go, that's odd. Um, I've got a client right now. I introduced one-on-ones to them. And um, so I just did a check-in with them after a fairly large team project with the leadership team. And I said, I said, how are your one-on-ones going with the boss? And he said, he said, we talk virtually every single day. So we don't really have a structured sit down one-on-one. I said, is it working? Yes. Okay, great. I asked one of the other people on the leadership team, you know, I'm at a different building. We don't talk every day. The structured one-on-ones are amazing. Great. So even within that team, they've modified that a little bit um, and they, but they check in, right? They check in and say, are you getting enough from me? Right. And the answer is yes or no. It's very simple. Well, then I'll give you more. The biggest gift, Diane, we give anyone is time. No question. It's, it's, if I give you time, I've given you my most precious asset. It's, you know, $10 is easy. $100 is simple. But time is our most precious asset. So when I give it to you, it means so much to people, they can't get over it. That that is for sure. And one of the things that I'm hearing in in what you're saying is that it's a a feedback loop. It's not a one-way conversation. It's it's an actual conversation. Right. Yes. And yes, it's an actual conversation. And the leader, whoever the person of authority is in the room having this one on one should end every last one of them with the following statement. And this is it has to be word for word. I'm I'm not a big guy on scripts, but there's a few things you got to be on top with. And, and it goes like this. What feedback do you have for me? Not do you have feedback for me? That's a different question. Yeah. The, the question I'm asking, there's an assumption that you have feedback for me. The other one is asking, you have some or don't. So it's a, there are two vastly different questions. What feedback do you have for me? And about the third time that person says none is when we need to have a different conversation and wonder why you're not telling me something, you know, something, yeah. something. Yeah. Am I not being open to listening? And what, what's the concern? Do you not have enough confidence to give me feedback as your leader? What, what is it? What? So we need, we need to then say, you better have some feedback for me at some point for crying out loud. Come on. I'm not, I'm not perfect. Right. Right. Wow. Ned, I got to tell you, I mean, thank you so much. We could talk on and on and on and on, except that we can't. (laughs) We could. We could. This has been so much fun. I mean, my God, I know you are a great interviewer and this has been a blast. I've had so much fun talking to you. Well, I appreciate it. I'm talking to you too, but I want people to get the book. So will you tell them like how they can get the book, how they can get a hold of you, you know, the whole. Sure, sure. 
Yeah, 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 sure. So the name of the book is A Simple and Easy Manager, What Managers Need to Know Before They Need to Know It. Um, it's, uh, you know, is written in such a way that it's good for someone that's been at it for 50 years or 20 years and someone that's just starting. I, I think I've had people tell me, I don't care who you are, you'll get something out of it. Um, it's a short read. I I argued with my editor at, at great length and very loud voices over the length of the book. She kept saying longer. I kept saying no. So I will promise people the book is under 100 pages, and it's about an hour to an hour and 10-minute read. And I can't begin to tell you how much, how many thank yous I've gotten just for that alone. Um, it's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all those sorts of places that you normally go. Um, I will tell you, if you are looking for a bulk orders to go to 800ceoreads.com, they have bulk order pricing in there that's pretty aggressive, and it's cheaper than, uh, so if you wanted 24 books, it's going to be cheaper than what you're going to get on Amazon. They have they have discount, uh, a volume discounting built right into it. And it's a great place to go for business books because it's the only thing on there. Um, and then, you know, I'm in Akron, Ohio. I'm all over the Internet. Uh, you can find me at, um, at a360c.com as a website. And we have our emails and phone numbers and addresses and everything in there. So I'm a pretty easy guy to find. Um, uh, and, and you just put Ned Parks in there, Akron, Ohio, and I'll probably pop up. And I'm I'm always willing to have a conversation or email or answer a question uh, you know, this is a giving world we're in and, and not everything's on the clock. And if somebody just wants to have a conversation about something on the phone, shoots fire, call me and, and we'll figure it out. We'll make it happen. I'm delighted to, to meet people anytime, anywhere, virtually or, or otherwise. That's awesome. And I that's know awesome. you are because I know you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know that's true. Um, well, thank you so much. And I, I really, I've really, really enjoyed this. Um, and I want to thank our listeners, as I always do. You folks are who we're doing this for, and I think you can see that this all makes a lot of sense and is simple. It is not difficult, so embrace these ideas. It will do wonders for your business. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, audible.com. Get a free trial and a free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.